J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing, Scott? Pumped to have you on the show. We've got Scott Campbell today. Scott, thanks for being on the show. That's my pleasure, JR. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So for context for everyone, uh, Merchants of Change is a show that's really built for new sellers and, and people considering a, a career shift into, into sales. Um, our mission is simple. Here at Shift Group, we help elite athletes and military veterans become elite sales professionals. Um, all our guests are military veterans and former athletes who found success in sales. Um, what we like to do is kind of talk about your time in service, your transition to civilian life, um, and then kind of put a cherry on top by talking about your sales career. Um, so kind of taking a step back, I like we like to start at the beginning. So, you know, we've had vets on here before. I think you're the first Marine very curious to know what, what made you choose the Marines over the other branches? Uh, that's a good question. Well, first off, I was raised in a military family. My dad was 22 years Air Force. He went on to, uh, he tried civilian world for a little while, did not work out for him. He went DOD. I, my brother and I both knew at some point we were going to end up military. I mean, just growing up in that world, I mean, we lived three different European countries, five different states. Uh, by the age of 13, we went to 28 different schools before high school. Wow. We lived all over the world. Very, uh, very fortunate having that as a, a childhood. And I guess just I always knew I was going to go military. Uh, I had no desire to be on a boat. So I knew I wasn't going to go Navy or Coast Guard. I, Army was in consideration, but it kind of came down to Air Force and Marines. And the Air Force was my dad. But there was just something about Marines. I remember when I was a kid on base with my dad, and there was uh, some Marines that were walking by. And I'm like, that's the uniform I want to wear. I remember that distinctly. We were in Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama, and I saw that. I was like, that uniform right there. It just stood out. Marked a sea of blue. That Marine Corps dress uniform did it for me. And as I got older, I started getting close to graduating high school, and then even to my first year of uh, college. It was just something about it. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to go ahead and join the Marines. And my dad looked at me and said, you know, son, I, I support you no matter what you decide. But why the Marine Corps? You were so much smarter than the Marine Corps. And I said, well, one, the dress blues are way cooler. And two, they let you blow shit up for free and they pay you to do it. And uh, so I mean, that's really what, what did it, man. There's something about that title Marine. You know, you, you hear stories about Army soldiers and Navy seamen, Air Force, you know, airmen. You hear these stories, but then you hear Marine. It's always singular. It's always something special about that title. That did it for me. And that's not saying anything bad about other branches. I'm full support of all, uh, all six branches. But for me, it was that title Marine. I, I had to have it. I had to. And then nothing was going to stop me from doing it. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in a pretty blue collar town in Massachusetts. And like my, I'll say my most badass friends all, all became Marines. Um, and they're still badasses to this day. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know, like, what, what, so, you had this kind of vision that you wanted to go in that direction. 
did did the experience match your vision? Are there a couple things that have kind of stuck with you since since um, from that experience in the Marine Corps? Yeah, and so in the, uh, the Marine Corps, so like the you know definitely the discipline. You know, you you hear about it, you see videos, and you know this was you know I joined prior to you know YouTube and all that, so. You know, you see videos, you see these uh, stories, and you're like, oh, man, that's great. And, you know, it's, you get in there, and you don't expect the just absolute chaos of day one at boot camp. I'll never forget that day. But from there, man, it's just so structured. And the mentality of the Marine Corps in itself, you know, they're, they're, they're a fighting force. It's all the Marine Corps is. Um, I don't think a lot of uh, Americans know that the Marine Corps is solely a fighting force. There is no such thing as a non-combative job in the Marine Corps. Yeah, uh, people hear that term "every Marine rifleman." That's because everybody gets trained in at least basic basic warfare. Uh, but yeah, the things I got out of you know, the, the definitely the discipline. That's uh, that's one thing I knew was going to be there, but I didn't realize to what level. I mean, even down to I, I'll never forget. I had a sergeant major ask me one time, "It's like how high up is your ribbon rack supposed to be from the crease of your uh, pocket?" And I said, uh, "One eighth of an inch." He said, "Do you know why we do it one eighth of an inch?" I said, "No." He's like. So you pay attention. It's as simple as that. You know, we want everybody to look the same, but it is so we have little measure, you know, little tape measures. We measure, make sure that that is exactly an eighth of an inch off center. They, they do that. And so that those little attention to details has helped me out in the multiple jobs that I've had before I even got into medical sales. But being able to pay attention to small details matters in the big scheme of things. As when I was a manager at Texas Roadhouse, everybody always made fun of me like, Oh, why do you want your name tag right up here? And why do our shirts have to be tucked in? And everyone wears a belt. And why do you always notice uniforms? And I was like, first off, you're asking the Marine why he notices uniforms. But two, if you don't take care of those small things, how can I expect you to take care of the larger issues? And I do that for myself as well. If I don't have like this calendar with me every day, how do I expect to know when I'm supposed to be, where I'm supposed to be, and when I'm supposed to be there? That's awesome. Yeah. And I, and I think like, listen, that, that brand, I think, follows the Marines, right? When I think of a Marine, I think of that discipline and that attention to detail. I'm curious to know, like, you know, one of the things we always hear from veterans is very similar to athletes in the sense that like their favorite part of service is working, working in a, a large group of people to achieve like really hard goals. Right. So like your, your team, right. Your team, um, it's different what you're competing for, but obviously that, that, teammate mentality is critical when you look back in in your service do you have like favorite teammates in terms of like what traits and characteristics a lot of your a lot of those teammates that that you remember most fondly all shared yeah you know some of the some of the best leaders that i ever worked with were the ones who explained the why behind their decisions you know you you have those bosses that will just say do it because i'm the boss and i said so the Marines that I worked with, especially that I looked up to the most and that I followed the most through their career. And I, I wanted to be like, were the men and women who that I need this done. And even if they didn't explain it right then, they explained it later. Here's why I need this done. And there was always a reason to the why. And I always appreciated that because, you know, you following blindly sometimes has its place. Like in a, in a combat zone, sometimes you just got to say yes and go. But that's after, you know, building up trust and you know that person sending you that, that direction for a reason. And so the, the reason why it was so important to me was 
it's so easy to say I'm higher ranked than you and it's because I said so. But when you see, when you hear somebody explain to you why, one, you see the compassion, but you also see the education and bringing the Marines uh, that are below you up and allowing them to grow. And I, I've, I always appreciated that. There was always, I was, I would never forget the, uh, my staff sergeant, the sergeant major that I worked for. They, I mean, they were dickheads. You know, they, they were, they were hardcore all, every day, but I always knew that their head was in the right place because they always explained why they needed stuff done. And they would go right in there and do it with me. And if they couldn't, they would explain, Hey, I got to go do this. I don't know. It's just something about that style of leadership. And there's, there's quite a few Marines that I worked with that are like that. Now there's some on the other side too that just said, Hey, because of higher rank, you know, there's always going to be those people. But the ones I, the ones that I remember the most are the ones who always explained why and always led by example instead of just saying, because I said so. Hundred percent. There, I mean, I could pull. I could talk about this all day because there's so many parallels to corporate and business life right there. Um, that a lot of leaders out there could 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 serve that could be served that lesson uh, because there is a lot of hierarchy sometimes that um, where people kind of tell you what to do and they don't really explain the why. And I think they're missing a huge opportunity there because if. If, whether or not people agree with you, if they understand your thought process, you're going to get more out of them that way. Um, how, how would how would the people that served with you, the Marines that's, that you served with, how would they describe you, you think, Scott? I mean, there's ways I would hope they would describe me. <laughs> no, I uh, I would say compassionate was probably one of the things that uh, described me the most. You know, I, I always cared about what my fellow engineer Marines were doing and why they were doing and what they were doing. I always cared about that stuff. And again, you don't find that everywhere. And it's not saying I'm better than somebody else by any means, but I said that I would hope that they would describe me as compassionate. You know, you still got to do your job. still got to go out there, be a warrior and everything, but you know, the compassion for your fellow Marines and just for fellow humanity, I think makes a big difference in somebody's mentality. I'm, and I would also say probably too uh, very technically minded. I was the guy who read every technical manual, every field manual, and I I knew the exact why to every piece of a weapon, how it worked, why it worked. Those are the kind of things that I like doing. I was a very technically minded person. That's interesting, given the career path you've taken, which which we'll get into. Um, that obviously the compassion is critical for what you do now, um, as well as like. That technical understanding of how and why things work the way they do, I think. Um, but before we do that, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, empathetic to uh, the athletes that that we work with because I've been through the transition. I know how hard it is. I consider myself still learning around the veteran transition, and and fortunately, I have a partner in Sean Hurd who served for 22 years, who's who's been teaching me a lot. But I always like to learn more. Um, I'd love to get your perspective on on why you think the transition from military life to civilian life can be can be painful for a lot of our veterans out there. Man, that is an incredibly multifaceted question. Uh, let me totally. try to hit some of the highlights that I can think of. I one, you know, the, some of the easier parts is the character traits that the military instills in you. You know, discipline, being on time, looking good while doing it, meaning like you know, in proper uniform. And people know that you're there and that, hey, I have a boss. I'm here to do that job. I'm the one who signed the dotted line. You know, nobody drafted me into Texas Roadhouse. I signed up for it and I got it. You know, same thing as the military. I, so 
that's some, some of the easy parts, but I would say some of the, the painful parts is the military is its own, is its own thing. It can come, it can operate completely by itself. And that means that there's every job that almost every job you find in the civilian world, you also find in the military, but not always those skills transfer. You know, somebody who does, uh, shoot, I don't know what, uh, water purification in the desert doesn't necessarily transition too well to being, you know, to, to certain skill sets in civilian world. There's not a whole lot of water purification for your daily, for your daily job over here. You know, people who were, uh, combat engineers now they're sweeping for mines and make sure there's no mines in the ground. Not a whole lot of mines here in America, if I can, if I would imagine. But I think the, the, uh, I think the, the big pain point is, you go from an environment in the military, especially if you're active duty, you go from an environment where you're told, here's when you're going to wake up, here's when you're going to go to work, here's when you're going to have lunch, here's when you get off, you're going to have dinner at this time, you're going to go here, and then you're going to go to bed. And you build up this this world with a team, you know, a large a large team, and you all have the same mentality. You're working with you know 30 to 100 other people at a time that have the exact same job as you, but the same mentality as you do. I mean, hell, that, that's just here in stateside. When you're deployed, you know, it's, it's a whole other world as well. You go from a world where everybody is there for each other, and then you transition to the civilian world, and it's not like that here at all, man. It's, I can't, I can't tell you 100% that my coworker would have my back 100% every day, no matter what. That just, that's the hard part. You go from not even having to question the integrity of, your fellow uh, Marines and soldiers or what have you do like, man, you know, heard John talking a lot of uh, crap yesterday. And I know this person kind of threw me under the bus. And I don't know if I trust this person to, to do this job for me, to do this job with me. I never had to question that on deployment or in the military in general. I knew for a fact they had my back. And if somebody didn't, I had a whole other group of people that said, nah, uh, uh, get back in line. So there was a lot of accountability. I think that would, that's probably the best word. The accountability in the military, I just don't believe exists the same in the civilian world. I, I couldn't agree more. I think I think that, and we've never heard that answer, but it's a really good call out, right? It's it's just a, it's it's you know, it's almost a cultural difference, really, at the end of the day, between yeah, between corporate America and you know, military service. What? How do you think? How do you think business leaders? You know, the folks that we work with, hiring managers at software, medical device, pharmaceutical companies, how, how do you think they can better support veterans that are trying to transition into those industries? Hire HR professionals who have prior military experience. I'm not an HR myself, but I've, I've worked in big corporate America and I, you know, before I did this job and hiring HR professionals who are prior military who can actually speak to, here's the real no shit deal of what happens in the military. Here's what you can expect. You know, Hollywood has done such, I was going to say a great job, but a horrible job of painting every veteran like they're digging trenches in the front yard and Charlie's coming across the wire. That's not the majority of the military. You know, the, Hollywood really, it glamorizes it, the, what the military is. And so civilians have this mentality of, what the military is like coming out of the military. They think we're all hard chargers and nothing can hurt us and their feelings don't get hurt and we're all out there. We're just thirsty to go to war. No, that's, it's bullshit. It's, it's not true. You know, there's, 
absolutely the military has warriors, but we also understand too have a transition to a to civilian life and kind of dial that down a little bit. But you know, things like uh, glamorizing war and they and they put it as every movie makes it out to be that every veteran comes back with severe PTSD. No, totally. So you have kind of two different people that you have two different ways that people treat you when you come in the civilian world. One, you have the people who are like really standoffish. Like, I don't know if I should upset them. I don't know if I should say this. They're really timid to come talk to you, almost scared to come talk to you. And then you have the other people come up like, hey, man, how, uh, what was combat like? Did you ever kill anybody? Like, all right, dude, uh, slow down. None of your business. Uh, by the way, the recruiter's right down the road if you want to go find out for yourself. <laughs> but I would say hire HR professionals with prior military and educate management staff of what the real military, of what the average military veterans like coming out of the military. And understand too, just like, I won't say this just for military, for anybody, we all have different backgrounds. We all have different experiences. We all have great things in our life. We all have horrible shit in our life that's happened. And under, uh, being empathetic to who that individual is. Maybe, I, I, I was a reservist my entire career. I, now I was on active most of my time. I deployed, uh, I deployed multiple times while I was a reservist. So especially combat, uh, reservists or national guards, guardsmen who are come, they, when they get off of active duty and go back to, uh, being a guardsman or reserve, they go right back to their civilian job. So, you know, it's nothing against active duty, but you know, they have that four years and then they transition. Me, I transitioned three separate times before I even got out. So I went from Iraq to literally two weeks later, I was back at a civilian job. Then I went to Afghanistan, and a week later, I was back in a civilian job. I mean, I remember showing up to work, and I'm like, just a week ago, I was, I was still in, uh, I was still in Helmand Province. That's insane to think about looking back on it. So I said, I know that's a that's a large answer, but again, hiring. HR professionals with military backgrounds, with actual military experience to educate management staff to know how to transition military in and let them know that these HR professionals are available to the military members they're hiring to come talk to them. Yeah. And, and, and I think that solves another problem that we hear pretty commonly, which is like, you know, Sean, who works at Chief Group, he was a, a 22-year vet, Green Beret. And he was interviewing for like entry level sales jobs and the hiring managers were asking him questions like, give me an example of a cold call and how you handled an objection. You know, and he's like, you know, it was clear that these people didn't understand one, that that's not a good question to ask him. Right. Like the, the fact that what he did in his service is very, very relevant, but because they don't come from military backgrounds, they can't make that connection. So they just go back to their, you know, check the box type of questions that they've been taught to ask, right? You've got to ask different questions. You've got to look at the resume differently than you look at a resume for another candidate, right? So I think that solves that, helps solve that problem. And I didn't realize that, that kind of active duty, right to transition. When, when you were done kind of like fully serving, um, what was that transition like, like for you? Like, did you, did you go into what you were doing before while you were still going back and forth? Or, or how did that work? So my my overall over the eight years that I was in, I, I did reserve the whole time. But I, I was in college, I think, for two semesters. And I'm, I didn't party or anything. I just didn't give a shit about college. I think I had like a 0.7 GPA my first semester in college. I mean, I did not care. 
But then I went and joined the Marines and that, uh, that was like, I think nine months total from beginning to end for all my training. Then I came back two semesters. Then I went to Iraq for a year and I came back for two semesters. Then I went to after for a few months, came back when I, then I went to Afghanistan for, uh, I think we were active for, I think 14, 13, 14 months. Then I came back and did a semester of college. I actually got out right after that. Oh, I finished my last semester, got my, uh, got my bachelor's. And then I actually got out of the military. I was like, ah, you know, it's time to get out. But then I got a really good opportunity to go out to Romania, Macedonia for a while. One of my friends called me from Romania. It's like, Hey, we need another MP. Do you want to come? I'm like, well, shit, I got out like two weeks ago. She's like, cool, get back in. Let's go. And so I, uh, I came, I actually had to go through a prior service recruiter, even though I gotten out two weeks prior, got back in, went over to Romania, Macedonia, came back. And then, uh, that's when I decided to fully get out and me getting out wasn't by that point. I had so much experience on, off, on, off. It wasn't as hard for me. I was also a little bit older too. I think, I think, I don't know. I was 26, 27, something like that. And so at that point I decided to go get my master's degree. So it wasn't as hard of a transition for me, but I can only speak on the reserve side. You know, you brought up a moment ago about the military transition going into the, you said, Sean, you know, being asked these questions after 22 years in the military, you know, that's a totally different experience than me because I had that in and out civilian and military job at the same time. Those active duty men and women, they don't have that. It is full on military and then straight to civilian. I was being a reservist. I had that on and off period. So I had a little bit easier transition into the civilian world than what somebody active. What I can tell you when my dad got out after 22 years, he went and worked for some pest control company. I don't remember who it was. And he did it for about seven months. And if you ever saw the old movie Office Space where you had seven different bosses asking for your TPS reports, <laughs> my dad loved that movie because it described his, him so well. He actually got so sick to his stomach. He started getting ulcers because he had so many people telling him, we need this done. He went to his doctor and his doctor's like, you need to quit your job is what you need to do. You're, and he, the doctor said, I can't medically tell you this, but you're not meant for the civilian world. You need to get back <laughs> into government. And so my dad said, cool, called up his boss, said, I quit. We moved to Kentucky and my dad went and worked for the DOD for the next 17 years. And it was great for him. He's like, I have one boss who tells me exactly what needs to be done, when it needs to be done. And on this day, it's awesome. He loved it. Absolutely <laughs> loved it. That is, that's a great story. Different experiences. I was, again, I was fortunate as far as transition being both sides, but the active duty, man, I, I've, I've seen some of those people transition. I saw my dad transition to the civilian world and I, I don't envy that. I applaud yeah. it, but I don't envy it. Where, where did your, like, when did sales sneak into your kind of consciousness? Like, where did that interest come from? Yeah, at eight years old. I uh, went to the door. <laughs> we were living in Loring Air Force Base up in Maine. The base was already, Brack had already closed. Uh, the base was just some, uh, some leftover airmen up there. And I went door to door one summer on base because all the airmen lived on one street on this base because the whole base was shut down except for two buildings and a street of airmen. And I went door to door to door on that street. And I said, can I mow your yard for the summer? And because they were quadplexes, I offered $3 for the two insides and $5 for the two outsides. I made a killing that summer. Oh, <laughs> great. 
in high school, I went to Walmart with $17. I bought some Snickers and caramel apple pops and all this stuff. And I, I took a shoe box, literally a shoe box. I duct taped the whole thing to give it some structure. I printed up a little price list, put it in the flip up on there. And I sold candy out of a shoe box in high school. That's awesome. After the, uh, after my end of my junior year, I think I made like $1,200 just selling candy profit. It was awesome. So I, my interest in sales came from a really young age. I always liked the idea of go out and make your own money. Go out and do this for yourself. You, only you are successful for your own success or only you are responsible for your own success, I should say. And so I always, like I worked in a whole bunch of restaurants. I was always, uh, I was always one of the top as far as sales go as a server and a bartender. And I did bartending for a while. I love the sales aspect of that. And when I went into, management at Texas Roadhouse, I was the service uh, service manager, which is essentially a sales manager for the front of the house. And my, right. I always push to my staff, you're going to be here anyway. Get as many dollars as you possibly can. Upsell, 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 upsell. They're not just going to say, oh yeah, what more money can I spend here? You have to give that to them. And my whole life, I've enjoyed sales. I've always been good at it. And I came from a unique background, going back to what I said growing up all around the world. My brother and I, we were always a new kid. This is pre-cell phones, pre-Facebook, hell, pre-MySpace. We didn't, and so we didn't get to keep in contact with people. So we were constantly the new kid and we had to learn how to make friends. And so we got really good at talking to people because we always had to make new friends. And I, my brother and I come with an experience in the real world that most people don't get. Most of my friends have lived here in Kentucky, most of them in the same town their entire life and never left. They have friends they've had since they were six years old. I was like, well, shit, I went to two, I went to three different fourth grades. You know, it's, uh, so I, I get, I get the unique experience where I get, lived in Europe and I could say, I know what food tastes like in England. I know an, uh, Maine winter and Alabama summer. So all that stuff combined has allowed me to, I can engage almost any person. And find something totally. in common with them immediately and build a rapport before I even launch into any kind of sales. I like to find out about the person, find a way to connect, and then go from there. Doctor that I met a few a uh, few months ago, trying to sell him some surgical tools. He kind of came in head down, like, "Hey, my name's Doctor So and So. What do you got for me?" I uh, and I was wearing this shirt. He was like, "What do you got? Is that a Marine Corps Purple Heart shirt?" Said, yes, sir. He goes, "I got all the time in the world for you. What do you have for me?" Before I went in. I made sure to look up this doctor. He was prior army surgeon and prior to that army tank officer. I purposely wore this shirt in there because I knew it built immediate rapport with him. I got, I got 15, 20 minutes with him instead of a head down in his book. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, all that saying, like that's, that's where my sales comes from. It's just, I enjoy engaging with people, building a rapport. And for some reason, I've always just loved selling shit ever since I was eight years old. Loved it. That that's awesome, and that the rapport thing, like that, you can't emphasize that enough. People people discount it. I I had a job where I had to sell into the Canadian uh, government for a, for a while, and I bought this pack of socks that had the 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 official flower of each province, and I would look up where the where the like top guy in the meeting was from because in just like the U.S. government, these people come to Ottawa from all over their country. And I would wear the official flower for that, uh, basically CIO. 
And I would purposely make sure that they noticed it during the meeting and it would immediately build rapport. And I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, like I had a teammate from, from there or whatever. So it's such a game changer. I'm curious to know, like where, so clear sales DNA in you, how, how did you get into med, medical sales? And like, was that hard for you to do that? Was it hard to get in medical sales? Yeah, man. I, I got to, I've actually been doing this for two years here in two days. And so I was, I think, 35, 34, 35 when I first wow. started this. So, you know, you're, you think about your traditional medical sales coming in prior, prior division one athlete right out of college, or maybe it's a couple years out of college because they went to work for like Xerox or yeah. enterprise, some kind of B2B business model sales that med sales or pharmaceutical sales loves looking for. I was absolutely non-traditional. I had a prior military background. Cool, but I didn't have any B2B. Um, I got very fortunate to get hired on by a family-owned company. Uh, but, you know, all, all, all the big boys wouldn't even look at me. I, when you ask, is it hard? I wish I could share my screen with you with my email inbox. I think I applied over like two years. I think I applied to over 500 different pharmaceutical medical sales jobs. And I had two interviews. That's it. It was just wow. constant. Doesn't meet minimum requirements. You know, we, uh, we're, we're considering somebody else, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, here, here I am, you know, with, with a bachelor's, double masters, multiple years of management, multiple years of, uh, of military. And I'm like, you know, your, your application makes it seem like I'd be a prime candidate for you. But because I didn't throw a football or because I didn't work at Xerox or Enterprise or some of the other, uh, big B2B companies, nope. Wow. So, I mean, it, it was tough. I had a couple interviews. I, I'm not going to mention names of the companies out of respect, but, you know, it's, uh, be honest with you, the one of the ones that I went was a pretty negative interview experience. And they asked specifically about my military experience, which is fine. But they asked me, will you be able to transition well into this? It, it, the way they asked it was a very, very dark way of asking. He said, you know, one, one of the issues that we have with, with hiring military if they don't work well with, and I was like, I kind of looked at the guy for a second because I came from years of management. I was like, you cannot ask that. Uh, absolute EEO violation on that one. I, he quickly turned his question around. I'm like, nah, that's way too late to turn that around. I, <laughs> and it kind of opened my eyes to, again, going back to early in our conversation, you know, people having a picture of what the average military person is coming out. I'm like, man, you know, it's just, I, I mean, I was stereotyped before I even walked in the door. I think I got the interview because I was military, because they wanted, they wanted, you know, be able to interview somebody military, but I absolutely yeah, had a stereotype before I came in there. Totally. And it was, totally. Uh, it was very evident in that interview. But yeah, man, it was, it was tough uh, getting into it. I got very lucky and very blessed to get in the job that I have right now. It's a low, it's a family owned company and they were looking for somebody they didn't care about intent B2B sales. They didn't want president's list, you know, the, the president's salesman's uh, salesmanship and all that. They wanted somebody with a customer service background because the way our company works is we really just take care of the customer. I go out of my way to do that. And that's what they wanted. So my experience with Texas Roadhouse and the fact that I led sales absolutely helped. But my experience with customer service really what got me this job. That's awesome. Um, and, and by the way, everything you just mentioned is the reason we, the reason I started Shift Group is because 
I think there is a gap between understanding some of the parallels between military service and the success you can have as a salesperson, right? Um, and it's, you know, we want to avoid folks like you having to apply to 500 jobs by giving them access to companies that literally will pay for access to people like you, right? That's the, that's the whole magic between behind what we do. Do you have any, like, what's a nugget of advice you'd give to some of the veterans listening to this podcast about, you know, looking back, what do you think you would have done differently during your job search? Uh, if I would have gone, well, I guess it's uh, in my, in my route that I went, or if I would have gone straight military to med. Uh, yeah, probably military to med. Like the, that's, the, the, that's a good nugget that, that I think would be valuable yeah. to our audience. Uh, especially for those coming out of active duty. I, I can't yeah. stress enough. Go get a degree. It's paid for. Go get it. You're, and you're paid to go. You know, the, yeah. the post 9-11 GI Bill was so much better than the chapter, I think, 31 GI Bill we had before. Totally. It's a great GI Bill. So first and foremost, go get your education. And when I say that, that's specific to get into this career field. They tell you right. it's not a requirement. It's absolutely a requirement. I know like 100%. two people in this, and I know a lot of reps now who don't have a college degree. And most of these guys came on like 25 years ago when it wasn't as relevant. Yeah. I, but also GI Bill's free, man. Go get your, go get your degree if you want to, uh, but it doesn't make totally. you a better person because you have a degree. It's just what they're looking for. So if, if you've already made the decision, hey, this is the career I want to go into, no, there's barriers to entry. And, you know, a basic college degree is going to be one of them. I, I college degree in business, in, uh, in business salesmanship, business entrepreneurship. I, if you are an athlete, go be an athlete somewhere. If they'll still take you at your, uh, your old ass age, come out of the military. I, <laughs> and then if you can, while you're in college, if you really want to double dip, you know, I keep on saying Enterprise and Xerox just because that's what I heard dozens, if not a hundred times, that Xerox and Enterprise was like exactly what med sales were looking for. Because apparently their business model of salesmanship, you know, we think of Enterprise as, oh, I'm going to go, hey, can I get a car? Thank you very much. And you're just a salesman at the door. I didn't realize those Enterprise reps, they're also calling on businesses and setting up huge corporate accounts and leverage yep. sales. And they're building business models for the for their local business. Totally. I had no clue. I talked yeah. to the enterprise. He's like, absolutely. He said the least of our sales is at the door. We're at the desk at the airport. Most of our sales is us calling other places. We do get commission. Uh, Xerox is the same thing, you know, selling copiers and printers. You know, so I, I didn't know that. So if you can double dip while you're in college, if you don't have a college degree already, Double dip, go work as a nighttime enterprise or Xerox sales or find some kind of business to business. And I can't express enough business to business sales because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for somebody who's going to get on the phone and call or hell, go into a business somewhere, knock on the door or just walk in like you own the place. Like, hey, I'm here to talk to this person. When uh, when are they available? They want that, uh, that from you. So if you can do that, College degree, work at a business to business sales uh, job, take the lowest entry level position you can if they offer it to you and build your way up while you're in college if you really want to double dip. I, and there's also I'm not trying to shout out to uh, any kind of businesses, but uh, medical sales college, that's a real deal. Yep. That 12 yep. week program, looking back on it, I wish I would have gone through that. I know a few people who went out, they were hired 
immediately coming out of that. You know, I wish I would have known about it back then because I absolutely would have uh, gone that route. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we're 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 kind of we're kind of you know trying to mirror some of the curriculum that you learn in places like that coming through our program, understanding you know the differences between capital versus orthopedic versus trauma sales things like that. So yeah. any any program that you can identify to, to at least show that you're serious, I think, can be a game changer for sure. Um, you talked about, you know, I think being a military kid and like having to constantly make new friends, the parallels to sales there are obvious. What do you think some of the other kind of traits and skills that you developed serving in the military um, helped you get off to a fast start outside of outside of those core ones that you talked about earlier? Man, so you say what, what, what traits and skills do I have that helped me get off to a fast start? I, you know, the military is such a diverse environment. You know, there's so many, so many different types of people from all walks of life that, uh, that come in the military. I mean, it is every walk of life, every race, gender, orientation, everything, man. It, they're all in there. You want to talk about totally. a true melting pot, man. Like the military is it. They always have them. I, you're exposed to a lot of people there and learning to work with people from different backgrounds, different, uh, different walks of life, uh, different, uh, different countries. You know, it's uh, you know, we we have people from other countries that are in the military. With us. obviously they're they're American, but they came from other countries. Some people came became United States citizens just to go within the U.S. military and learn to work with all those people and overcome language barriers, overcome diversity, all that stuff. It's it's wonderfully transitioned into this job as well. I I know that for me, the, the traits and skills for sure. You know, the the attention to detail. Don't totally. I'm, I'm almost cussed. Don't be late. They <laughs> surgery starts at 7.30. Damn it. They mean they're starting at 7.30. I can't tell you how many ORs I've been in where the nurses are like, where the hell is the rep? Not me, the other one. But you know, I've been in there like, where is the rep? You know, it's, it's so important to be on time. And on time doesn't mean on time. On time means you were there early, dressed, ready to go, checked in, in the OR 15 minutes prior minimum. And so, you know, being on time, I cannot stress enough to people in this job when you're dealing with, uh, you know, we obviously don't touch patients ourselves, but we're still responsible in that room for our role. And being on time is, what's, what's that, the 80-20 rule? 80% of the job just being there? Well, it's not just totally. being there. It's damn near, being there on time. <laughs> and holy shit, I don't, uh, Jr. I don't I think you said you didn't serve in the military. Uh, try being late to formation. It's not the civilian world. Like, all right, Jr. I we need to talk about your timeliness. There's a lot more colorful language that comes. Very. I'll put it this way: There's not an HR department in the military. <laughs> so, hope you don't get your feelings hurt. But you know, jokes aside, it, I'm I'm serious. You know, the 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 traits and skills that you know just. Damn it, just being on time somewhere is so crucial to your success. When a when you meet with a director or a surgeon or a nurse or whoever, and they say our meeting starts at this time, that's what they mean. They don't want to walk out and be like, okay, well, we're starting here in two minutes. You know, I hope this person shows up. They want their secretary to be like, hey, your uh, your you know three o'clock is here, and it's two forty five. You're already there, looking good, and uh, with a with with your proper uh, gear that you need. And they want to know like, Hey, this person came in here ready to talk to me. 
and they're here early. I, I, so far, I've not missed a meeting yet. Don't think it's ever going to happen. But, uh, man, I, I can't stress it enough. The, the traits and skills of the military of just showing up on time, and by t- on time I mean early, that's probably the number one thing. 100%. Yeah, it's so true. It's not... It's not just showing up, showing up on time and prepared, right? Um, that's that's the difference. Um, let's talk a little bit. Obviously, there are certain skills and traits that do that do translate from military service, but there's also there's also new things that you do need to learn, right? New skills, new knowledge, and I want to talk a little bit about skill development, right? Sure. I'm curious to know, like, you stepped into a new industry. Um, you had to, you, as as much as there was parallels. There's a lot you had to learn. Can you talk a little bit, like, how do you approach like skill improvement? Are there any particular skills that you're you're working on, like right now, and and talk about how you're doing that? Yes, I came from zero medical background, none. I Google and YouTube have been awesome learning anatomy and physiology. <laughs> and you know, if uh, if you would have told me at first, you know, that the dis- the distal portion of the uh, the tibia. Or you know the the, pro, the proximal of this, or you know any medical medical positioning itself. I had I would have had no idea. There's a lot of Google and YouTube to begin with, uh, but honestly, it's relying on other people too. I I still call my direct supervisor at least three times a week. It's tapered off when I first started. I mean, I was calling him like three times a day. I'm like, all right, man, what is the proximal? What is the proximal portion? Of an I am nail in the femur. I was like, I know <laughs> what a couple of those words are. He's like, okay, we're going to break this down. But relying on other people, man, if I have questions, just ask. You know, I have found that, especially a lot of my coworkers that, uh, that live in other states and in our same company, they are so open to helping you understand because they want you to be successful as well. So, I mean, I asking people who are professionals, uh, who are experts in that, in that, uh, equipment or that portion of your sales excuse me and man i'll i'll just straight up ask a doctor or nurse in the or as well hey i don't know what that is can you explain that to me you know i try my best not to do that during surgery right. but right. you know, prior to when i hear a term that i've never heard before i'll either ask if, if i felt comfortable enough with that person or hell man like everybody has this in their pocket i can't tell you how many times somebody said something i'll, I'll tell you this somebody asked me to come uh, like hey you know we want to rent your spine set an ACDF revision. Can we rent that? I'm like, yeah, absolutely not a problem. And I got off the phone. I was like, what is an ACDF revision? You're going to say that. And I was like, huh, interior cervical discectomy fusion. What is an interior cervical discectomy fusion? I watched a couple (laughs) videos on it so I could understand at least a little bit about what's going on. And, you know, so I I looked it up on Google, watched uh, videos on YouTube. I called my boss. I got a game plan before I went uh, went into the OR. And just asking questions, man. Like it's people are so afraid to ask other people for help. Most people are absolutely willing to help you. Because it also strokes their ego too. You're like, hey, totally. JR, you're the expert in this. Can you explain this to me? You're like, huh. Oh. As a matter of fact, I will, since I'm the expert on this one. It, it does make people feel good to ask them for help. You know, if it's not going too far out of their way to uh, to do so, but. Man, just I can't tell you my, my success in this job on the medically, you know, not not the sales side, but medically, is just calling my coworkers and just asking, "What did you do to sell this? Why did why were you the top salesman on this last year? How did you do it? Why did you do it? What does this term mean?" 
So it's uh, just ask questions, man, whether it be on your phone, your computer, or an actual person, just ask questions. I, I can't emphasize this enough for our listeners that it's what you're talking about is like true and like authentic intellectual curiosity, right? It's so critical. And you, and you think, you think figuring it out on your own is helpful, but it's not like, you know, showing that you're intellectually curious is a good thing. Right. Um, and you know, I, I was raised, uh, my dad used to say, like, you've heard the term squeaky wheel gets the oil. My dad used to say squeaky wheel gets changed. <laughs> right. And, and I had to like, I kind of had to break that mindset a little bit and like get a little bit loud when I didn't understand things. And it's hard to do when you're, when you serve in the military, when you play elite sports, you think you're better off doing it on your own, but dude, the people are being paid there to help you and that's their job. So it's okay to ask for help. It's, oh, it's, it's, it's encouraged actually by most, but any good leader, you know what I mean? hundred percent, man. I can't, I can't agree with that enough. You know, it's, they, the people who hired you want you to succeed. Nobody hires you be like, oh, man, I can't wait for them to fail. That's not a real <laughs> thing, man. It, it's it's an aggressive interview process to get into this career. So you yep. don't get hired into this career because you're an idiot. And they want somebody, you know, you always hear that thing like, well, I don't know, but I will find out for you. It's such a cliche saying, but it's 110% accurate. I can't tell you how many times I've told a doctor or a nurse or whoever I don't know that answer, but I'll find out for you. I've talked to me like, hey, I'm going to pull out my phone while I'm talking to you. I am listening to you, but I'm going to text the director right now and get you that answer. And I've had that phone in hand and be like, okay, you know, whoever John says, this is the answer to your question. And I can't, it, it makes people, people see that and they appreciate it. And especially you got an answer immediately. Totally. You follow up totally. who you're going to. You say you're going to get an answer, you better get them an answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so la- last two questions here, uh, Scott, we ask everybody these two questions. First one, um, we always ask our, our guests to highlight one of your skills that, that makes you elite. What do you think your like number one skill is that's, that's, that's really led to your success in this new field for you? Immediately available in person. <laughs> I, I, I say that there are times that I have to just take a phone call or that it's just an easy, hey, Scott, can I get a quick quote for, you know, the, the pen? Can I get a quick quote for this? I don't need to go see you in person to get a quote for a little thing. But showing up in person, man, tell you what, I, I, I can't say the location or names or anything, but I, I, had a, I had dinner with one of my points of contact. And he would tell me, he's like, you know, I, I told him, I was like, man, I, I really appreciate your business. You know, you have you were easily over half my salary because of you alone. He's like, really? I was like, yeah, man, you know, I really appreciate this. You know, he's like, well, no, I appreciate you. You know, like, between you and, and another guy that I, that I always go with, but most of the time I just choose you. I was like, well, I appreciate that, but you don't mind me asking why. Like, I'm not trying to stroke my own ego, not pat my back, but why? What am I doing for you that makes you want to call me every time? He goes, I'm going to have to, I won't say one of the words, but he's like, because you effing show up. And he's like, every time you have never not shown up. I one of the awesome. days that he called me and said, Hey, I need you to take care of this down at this department for me. Like send me an email and say, Hey, can you take care of this? Can you hook up with this person? Cause they need this product. I said, yeah, not a problem. He sent it to me at uh, six fifty in the morning at eight fifteen. I happened to be walking by his office. He's like, Hey man, what are you doing over here? I was like, Oh, I went and took care of that thing you asked for. He goes, I stepped for that an hour and a half ago. I went, yeah. And it's done. Like to me, it's just kind of like a no shit kind of thing. Like, yeah, you asked me to get it done, I went and got it done. 
be like, right. man, I expected like sometime this week, not to finish <laughs> my morning coffee. And I was like, it, it's kind of like the Forrest Gump moment. Why you put that gun together so quickly? Because you asked me to, Drill Sergeant. It's just showing up. Yeah. And, yes. But in person, man, it is what it's made me better at this job. And I think what makes me, if, if I want to call myself elite on that, I show up in person. There is a human connection in person that just makes it better than a phone call, a text, or an email. There's times for those ways of communication, but absolutely nothing in business is better than an in-person taking care of what they need. 100%. I I, I know you're, we, we just met, but I, I emphasize this all the time in, in, in our LinkedIn messaging, like how important it is to get in front of somebody. It's like critical, not just your customers, but your your colleagues, your leaders, like as much time as you can spend around other people. So, so important. Um, so last question for you, Scott, right? We think the highest praise that you can give a salesperson is calling them, calling them a pro. What does being a pro, this is a very broad question. What does being a pro in sales, what does that mean to you? Are you the first person they call when they need something? Love that. I mean, it, it, it takes, you're not going to get that day one. Hell, it's taken me almost two years to get to the point where I'm doing right now, but it was just, it was beating down the door enough times. And even, you know, this, this is so much related to your previous question. What makes you elite? You know, it's, uh, when I get to the point where I'm the first person they think of, when they say, I need insert whatever product. I, I carry a lot of products in our bag. We have about 40 different lines that we sell in our company. Like we're not a one company, one product. So I'm very unique in what we sell. I mean, I think we have like 40,000 products in our bag uh, that we uh, that we have access to. But so when the people that I work with, when I'm the first person they think of, that to me is what leads to a pro. When you build up so much trust, so, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably answer it that way. It's trust. It's trust. I, I, I'm working on a project right now where there's a, there's a difference of a, uh, of a $58,000 sale and a $75,000 sale. And I'm trying to convince them to go 75. Obviously it's my job, but I was straight up honest with him, man. I was like, look, here's quote number one. Here's quote number two. This one's uh, at least uh, is less expensive. It's going to be good. It's still a great product. This one's better. And I'm explaining to you why it's better to spend the money right now. And at the end of the, at the end of my pitch, it goes, I trust you and just go ahead and put it in for the $75,000 one. Like I was the idiot for even trying to uh, convince him. He was like, yeah, man, obviously just do it on, put it on there. We'll spend the money. And I was like, well, do you want to hear? He's like, I don't need to hear the rest of it. So, you know, it, uh, that's, her, that's her. That- enough trust where they, where they, they will one, let you come in their office and talk to them. But two, where they can say, Hey, look, I trust you. I know you're not going to screw me. I know you're only bringing me quality products and I know that I have a single point of contact if I have anything go wrong. That's what I pride myself on. I won't say I'm a pro and I, I think any pro who says they're a pro thinks that they've reached the pinnacle of the career, man, there's always something more you can do. There's always something better you can achieve. You can always be better. 100%. I love it. Uh, Scott, this is going to be required listening for all our veteran, all our veteran candidates, man. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for all these awesome nuggets. We really appreciate you giving us time. Man, it's my pleasure. I really appreciate getting the call to do this. Thank you. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. 
If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.